0: on in days doing right now. And that's at those times I think I need to turn back. I always picture God as being right behind me. I picture Jesus behind me like this. And I'm going through life, and I'm bummed out about something. I'm going to, God, where are you in this? And he's right behind me, and he's standing there with his arms open wide, and he's saying, Son, if you will turn to me and embrace me, we together will go through this, and it'll be just fine. And so it, it, it's, a, it's an issue for me. Maybe I'm the only one. <clears throat> This time, this topic, I think, is actually the most important topic in Getz's book, I would say. And I have as my, um, I present as my argument for that something that Jesus said when asked what is, the, what is the most important commandment. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. Indeed, the Bible is filled with uh, psalms, with proverbs, uh, with other passages telling us this is what we were made to do. We are here to be in communion to God, love God. If we're doing that, we're a long way towards where we need to be, being in his will. So my takeaway on this slide, this is what we're made to do. Well, why don't we always do it then, right? It, it seems like if we're made that way, we should want to do it, right? Well, Adam and Eve in the garden were in communion with God. They were loving God continually. They were enjoying the creation that he made for them. They were experiencing his joy completely. This is a great model for what we were made to do. Then what happened? Well, they got tricked, right? Right? They got tricked through their failure in the garden. They introduced us to the law of sin and death. Now, because of this separation from God, it requires a blood sacrifice to keep us in his presence, to forgive us our sins, a blood sacrifice the earth. He lived a life. He died as a blood sacrifice for all. Thus introducing us to, thus making available to us the law of the spirit of life, where through him we can be freed from our sin, freed from the necessity of a blood sacrifice to atone for our sins and and therefore not be separated from God. Amen. So the power of the Spirit in our lives frees us to live in service to God. It doesn't imprison us. If we're imprisoned by anything, it's by our sin nature. Through that brokenness that came in the garden, our sin nature now binds us, even blinds us, from fully trusting God and what he has to offer us. So we turn to other things. We allow ourselves to be distracted by other things. Living a godly life, it doesn't always feel this way. Living a godly life is our response to the freedom that was purchased for us on the cross. This is what we want to do, right? We want to live it. We're here this morning to learn to live more godly lives because we want to experience the joy, experience everything that God has for us and made available to us. To us through death on the cross. So what is not loving God or not loving good? I I, I skipped the little Greek lesson earlier before about um, loving God, and what Getz says is to love God is to love good. And often, you know, and, and probably not the first time you've heard this, we show love by where we put our priorities, how we spend our resources, This is what we show we love, what we value. Um, And Goetz suggests three primary distracting priorities that we have in our lives. Lover of self, lover of silver, lover of pleasure. There are more, certainly, but I think it, it feels pretty good to me to say, you know, these are the big three. These are predominant things that we have problem with as men, as humans. We tend to get distracted from our love of God by these things, by self and pleasure. Um, there's a, I have a colleague at, at Ida. Uh, and, and if you go into any of our office, we have dry erase boards. We write things on them all the time There's gonna be equations. There's gonna be notes um, And so I went into one of my colleagues office and he had this weird equation on there I never saw this symbol and I thought well, I wonder what that you know I get a little closer and I look at it. and I go, Oh, okay, this is what he had up on it It's over on the right side and I looked at it. And I go, okay The love of money is the root of all evil <laughs> I thought that's great He's got that in dry erase marker right in the middle of his dry erase board. It's been there for a couple of years. I talked to him about it and I thought that's pretty good. So if you need a mathematical representation of something scriptural, there you go, right there. So all of these, or all of these, these three distracting priorities are a, a subset of a greater um, set of priorities, not loving God, not loving good. This is kind of the structure of Getz's chapter, is if you're doing these things, you're not doing these things. And so these are priorities. These are things that, are, these that distract you. They take your resources, your time, talents, treasures away from things that are better. Um, now, is this hating God? Well, another, another axiom that I like, you may have heard before, is hate is not the opposite of love. Indifference is the opposite of love. When If you get distracted into the behaviors such as these, it's not that you're hating God. You're being indifferent to him. You're not paying attention to him. And so I, I, I hesit- as I was kind of writing up this slide, I was saying, you know, if you're doing these things, you're hating God. Well, that seemed a little harsh to me until I thought about it a little more and said, no, I'm, I may be doing something that's arguably worse. I'm ignoring God. God probably... He, He's probably not as mad as if you, if you hate him because you're thinking about him. You're struggling with him, right? If you're ignoring him, if you're not paying attention to him, that's, that seems worse, at least different. So are there ways in which you're not loving God or not prioritizing God in your life? Can you look at this list of items and say, you know, I'm putting a little too much of my time. I'm putting a little too much of my talent. I'm putting a little too much of my treasure towards these things that are not godly. Are they bad? I will tell you one thing. Satan would sure love you to think these things are bad. Silver is bad. Pleasure is bad. He certainly wants you to think yourself is bad. Um, I'm a big fan of C.S. Lewis. I'm a big fan of the Screwtape Letters. If you haven't read it, it, it you'd enjoy it, I promise you. Um, Wormwood, kind of uh, the, uh, I'm sorry, Screwtape, kind of the lead uh, demon, is uh, counseling his, his um, his uh, protege, Wormwood, to try to corrupt this young Christian. And one of the tools he uses is things. And he wants, he, wants, um, he wants Wormwood to make this young Christian think that these things are bad, especially the self, right? He wants him to feel guilty about things. And then that, that takes a person's um, if I, if, if, if I can be convinced that these things are bad, I don't think so much about my actions or what, what my actions mean to God. And, and besides, God wants you to have a positive relationship with all of his creation, right? Who created you? God, easy. Who created silver? God. Who created uh, pleasure? God. Did he do these things by accident? No. Did he create them out of a sense of malice? No. No thank you. (laughs) The self. He wants us to present ourselves as a living sacrifice. He tells us, care for the temple. He wants us to experience the joy he has. Go to the gym, eat well, enjoy activities, enjoy your family, enjoy people around you. Do it in a way so that you can prepare yourself for the good work he has for you, right? This Nothing wrong of taking care of yourself. Nothing wrong with enjoying things on a personal level. This is something that God wants for you. Silver, a tool. This is a tool, a very important tool in our lives, right? It's a tool through which life's operations are facilitated and with which God can be served or ignored. That's the problem, right? Pleasure. Um... We got a whole book of the Bible, Song of Songs. Um, read that book, and you know that God it, it designed us to enjoy pleasure. And, and of course, um, I'm going We're here with a, we're a group of men. We've to a one degree or another have all struggled with the lust of the flesh. All right, I'm here to tell you, I have struggled, I have failed, and I have succeeded, and I will probably fail, and I will probably succeed again. I know, though, that God has in mind for me a way to experience pleasure that honors him, that honors my wife, and that when, when experienced properly is, is one of the most beautiful things in the world. Another C.S. Lewis book, The Great Divorce. If you've already read The Screwtape Letters, read The Great Divorce if you haven't. There's a scene in which one of the angels is talking to a, um, uh, a person and in, in this representation on this person's shoulders, this creature, I have in my mind when I read it, a, like a lizard, you know, kind of ugly. And in my mind, as I read this book, to me, this represents pornography uh, imagery that this person cannot live with. I can't live without this. And the angel's saying, you can live without it. No, I can't. I, I need it. And, and through the course of this um, discussion, the person comes to realize that this lizard is not good, is not helping. It shrinks down, experiences a sort of death, and comes back as a, as a big white stallion. A beautiful white horse, the image is very powerful. The person rides this horse over the, um, off into a beautiful valley over a beautiful mountain. This is how God wants us to experience things. When we, we think something is good or necessary, um, God has a bigger, better way to use it. Um, and so my simple uh, talk about tools, if you hit your thumb instead of the nail, don't blame the hammer. So an engagement plan, right? OK, we know, we know what godly living is. We've talked a little bit about what just being distracted from God is uh, looks like. So how do we fight it? So Getz has a, a real good engagement plan. He talks about Medicate, eva- what did I say? Medicate, Meditate, evaluate, dedicate, trust God. Okay, It could be modified, I suppose. Um, Great plan, and, and you have the Getz book, read it. He's got great elements in there. I've tried, probably somewhat imperfectly, to capture his elements in a little more sort of um, militaristic fashion, since we're a bunch of, uh, a lot of us are servicemen, former servicemen. Um, so more military-like, recognize, repel, redirect, report. Evidently, in my world, alliteration means military, so. Oh yes, always pray. Amen, right? This is not, this is, this type of turning to loving God, turning from distraction, takes very intentional activity on our part, but that is not enough. Prayer, the Holy Spirit in your life, this is what creates success. As usual, success takes intentionality. Recognize was the first step. Really? Do you not know you're doing it? Do you need some uh, somebody banging a gong and saying, "Hey, that's a little bit sinful"? Well, it's probably in your head already, right? As we talked earlier about, God wants you to have a positive relationship with His whole creation. Well, guilt is one of His creations, believe it or not. Guilt, I liken to uh, the rumble strips on the side of the highway. Or now, you know, we've gotten so good, we put those rumble strips in our cars, and we call them. Uh, lane drift sensors, right? You got a car like that? This is, this is what God designed guilt to do. Hey, you're getting a little close to the ditch, buddy. You may want to you put yourself back in the middle of the lane. You may want to pay a little more attention to what you're doing. Now, this is not how Satan used guilt, obviously, right? Satan uses guilt to tell us, you're bad. You're bad, Michael. How do we feel about that? That is not a gad- godly application of guilt. Am I in the center of the lane? Am I trying to stay out of the ditch? This is, this is a more proper way of viewing guilt. Accountability partners and mentors, great people to talk about if you're struggling. There, the, these, these people at my table here, I know I call any one of them. they would be more than happy to tell me about the uh, messed up things I'm doing. But you got to listen to them. Right? You've got to do more than listen to them, really. I probably should say, listen and uh, do. Right, Don't just listen to them. Think about what they do. There's wonderful people with wonderful wisdom in this room, and they'll help you out of, it. They'll help you out of a jam. They'll help you turn. Discuss your choices with your loved ones. Right, You've got a dual benefit here. Right? When I talk to my family, when I talk to my wife, when I talk to my kids about maybe something I'm struggling with, not only do I get their great feedback, their first-person fe- well, Dad, you know what I see. That's, those kids are wonderful. You know, <laughs> I remember, I don't know, Carter, Carter's my oldest son when he was about 12 or something, and I'm having some sort of minor um, you know, fracas with my wife, and I said something, and Carter goes, Dad, this tall, right? Now there's someone else in the house hearing these things and willing to stand up and say, you know, that wasn't a very nice thing to say to mom. Me's he's right. And so, um, so the dual, that, that's the primary benefit is you have someone else around you. The secondary benefit, you're providing an example to your family that this is important to you, right? You're providing a good example. I want to turn towards God. I want to live my life focused on him. And when you provide that example to your family, that takes root. Um, I totally swiped this from my previous talk, A Sincere Self-Examination of Recent Decisions. When you can sit down and look at things you've done, kind of analyze them on a point of, you know, what was my intent here? Is there a godly principle that I was pursuing? Or or worse, is there a godly principle I was willfully ignoring as I did this? I'm going (laughs) to... I'll we'll see if I have time to finish this story later, but <clears throat> my dad, I have, uh, my sister and I have general power of attorney for my father now. He's, uh, his mental capacity has declined to the point where he really can't be responsible for his own uh, business. Um, uh, he, can kinda get, he can do kind of okay around his house, although I worry about him eating enough, I worry about him taking his medication. Well, back in 2011, he bought, ironically a big box of silver, silver coins. Newly minted at the time, not collectibles, but still valuable nonetheless. And he hid them in his house. He doesn't know about this anymore. I talked to him about it last time I was in Texas with him, and I said, "Uh, ironically, last time I was in, it's full of irony, right? While I'm in Texas doing what? Preparing my talk on loving God wholeheartedly. And I said, Dad, you ever buying a bunch of silver? No, I've never bought silver. It's not a good investment. I wouldn't do it. Okay, I didn't try to talk him. He he's at a point in his life in his middle capacity where you don't try to correct him. He's also That's at a point. point where, yeah, kind of like me, I guess. Right? <laughs> <laughs> don't try to correct. <laughs> he's also at a point where um, he doesn't respond to things in a predictable fashion. So I said, you know, I didn't sit there and have this conversation, and try to figure out the whole story. I talked to my sister. I talked to my wife. I knew roughly where he had hidden this asset. So I took it. I took it out of his house. I put it in my car. I drove it to town, that wonderful town of Seguin, Texas. Some of you Air Force guys may know the airfield there. You know it, Dave? Yeah? Drove it to the bank, put it in a safe deposit box in my and my sister's name. It's a very hard thing to do, right? I want to act as my dad's agent to protect an asset that otherwise is at great risk of leaving his estate without anybody's knowledge. This is how I'm justifying my actions, right? (laughs) But what's the problem with that? What's the problem with me acting as agent? I'm the beneficiary of his estate, right? So how am I not acting in my own interest? It's a very tough situation to be in. I've agonized with this. I've talked to mentors here. I've talked to, I've talked to a, a very close friend at work. What I've done, it became very clear. Anything you do in the dark is dark, right? So what do you do? Shine a light on it. I wrote a letter to my dad. I say, this asset exists. It's, at this, it's in a safe deposit box in the bank in Seguin. It is in my name. I do not claim of it. It belongs to my dad's estate. That letter for the attorney. To me, I'm I'm hoping I'm shining a light on it. It's a very strange situation. It's like 24. The godly, hopefully, I was pursuing there is just wise protection of assets. Hopefully, that's what I want to pursue. Not everything is a moral dilemma. There's a great book out there called "Just Do Something." I can't remember the author's name. If anybody knows, let me know. Um, he talks about Christians in a sort of paralysis. Um, because they're waiting to hear from God. I need to know God's will for my life for this actual decision. Yes or no, this girl, yes or no, do I ask her to marry? And the book is very good. It talks about don't get into paralysis, because you think everything is a moral dilemma, and you have to hear from God. Sometimes he wants you to get up out of the chair and do something. And if you're praying to be in his will, he's going to be with you, and you're going to succeed. Pay attention to your personal red flag areas, if it's pornography, if it's imagery especially. The uh, church um, has resources. Jim, should they talk to you? Conqueror at com. Wonderful resources. This is, a, this is something you can overcome. Um, if it, there are other red flag areas, just pay attention to them. I think this is in the Bible. Deliberate analysis availeth much right? No? Oh, okay. Sorry. Close. Should be. Repel. The prayer of a righteous analyst availeth much. Yes, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, repel the actions of Satan that would turn your attention from God, that would turn you towards other things. Hi. Is that what you're saying, Mike? Hi. all right land the plane block the vulnerable approaches for us men my my for me my vulnerable approach is my eyes um got covenant eyes on the computer at home i have an accountability partner that gets a report on um websites i visit simple thing to do right um, I have a nice little, uh, it, these are not all I statements. I'm sorry if it sounds a lot like, an, like I'm an eye doctor. Um, I, got a little, I taped a little proverb on the bottom of my computer monitor. I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully upon a young lady. All right. Am I vulnerable? Yes. Is this culture trying to dig a hole and put me in it and cover me up with dirt? Absolutely, but I'm fighting back. Fighting back hard. Um, Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or left. Keep your foot from evil. That's what a good Navy captain Jim Smithers told me as we were walking down Bourbon Street in New Orleans one time. (laughs) Think about your accountability partners. Use them. Listen to them. Give yourself an exit strategy. To me, these are little uh, things I tell myself when I'm driving down the road and there's this business with uh, imagery in the windows and I say, you know, this really isn't a good use of my resources to be looking there. It's distracting me from something better. I'd feel more at peace right now if I were going to the grocery store to buy um, chili ingredients to take to Don Moore's house on Friday, right? Tell yourself... You recognize the distraction you're facing. Tell yourself what it is you'd rather be doing now to experience a little more of God. Your choice to repel the other than good is very powerful. Redirect. Turn away from things. Turn away from the inherently harmful drugs, sexual impurity, the spiritually corrosive Maybe some people that you rub up against them once, not so bad. You spend a lot of time in their presence, it corrodes your armor. The addictive behavior, um, alcohol, um, (laughs) video games maybe. Imbalance, things that are taking too much of your time or too much of a resource that someone else should be getting. Now imbalance and gluttony here. Gluttony, I, I use as a word to think of, you're now, you're now consuming so much of something that it's becoming harmful to you. It's not just imbalance anymore. It's not just that I love to play the bass guitar and I do it a lot. Now I'm going every night, you know. Um, if I go in every night to play from 7 to 10 p.m., that's pretty imbalanced for my family. If I'm playing every night from uh, 9 a.m. to 2 a.m., that's probably a little bit of gluttony there. It's probably not good for me. if playing the bass guitar could be considered a, a bad thing, I don't know. And you need to turn toward those who have a legitimate claim on your time, those who have need of your resources. I went a little too fast. Activities that are active in construction, active activities, great English there, Jack. Communion with God. When you are doing these things, you're kind of doing the first three, we're prioritizing how we spend our time, where we're putting our resources, what kind of activities we're choosing, we are establishing a communion with God because we're doing these things intentionally to be turned toward him. A turn requires intentionality. Have I used that word before, intentionality, today? Hmm. And report. You. Prayer, scripture, meditation, journaling. Talk to yourself about what you've been doing. Ask yourself those questions. What was my intent? What was my godly um, precept? Your brothers, let them hold you accountable. Talk to them. Ask them. Be available yourself as an accountability partner, especially if it's in an area where you've struggled and had some success. And others who are around you, your family, your friends, your coworkers, listen to their observations. Engage in frank discussions with them. Pray for open, heart, open ears and soft hearts. Have open ears and a soft heart yourself. Talk about these things. Without feedback, learning is very, very impaired. Okay, a couple parting thoughts. Let's see. Is my sin a result of not letting God work in my life? Do I somehow not trust him to be enough? I need this thing. I need this lizard on my shoulder, whatever your lizard is. Right? I need this thing because God didn't. Get, whatever pleasure, whatever joy I'm getting from this thing, that's where I need it. I can't, God's not going to provide it. If I get rid of this thing, I won't have that joy. Is that your problem? Or then you're not letting God work in your life. Do I always feel I'm connected in communion with God? I let off saying I don't. I don't always feel that. Sometimes I feel a little lost. That's when I go to a quiet place, try to get to a quiet place, pray a little bit. Prayer, I say, a helpful, Psalm 139. Search me, O God, know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It's not a long prayer. It covers what the problem is. Finally, uh, give yourself a break. Um, Our our friend Paul, we, we heard Marty talk about this in Romans. Uh, A couple weeks ago. Here's Paul. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep doing. So I think if Paul can struggle like that, we can give ourselves a little bit of a break. We just need to know we've been distracted and know tools to turn back to God. Here's some questions. Your time went a little bit over, but the plane is down. Thank you.